Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 through 21. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And welcome back to the Blue Collar Bereans Podcast with your hosts, me, Nate Penlich. Forget your name. I did forget my name. <laughs> what is my name, Scott? <laughs> Your name's Scott. I got that part. So Scott and Nate, we're back. And, uh. One of us may end up in a nursing home. Maybe. Soon. <laughs> it's been, it's been a long week. It's been a long week. My brain's tired. And, uh, so yeah, welcome back. We are amped to be talking about the church, trying to get into the foundations of what the church is and the implications for what that means for who is the church. Last week we discussed Probably a lot of things that I'm not sure how we're going to edit it yet, but we definitely started with the foundation of who is the church. And so uh, building upon that, we'll continue our conversation, pick up where we left off on last week. So enjoy. You and I did nothing to save ourselves, and we're not going to do anything to save someone else on the street. We proclaim the gospel. We are faithful to what God's word says, but God's the one who does the saving. Mm -hmm. And if he saves... Praise his name for his right. grace. If he has another purpose for his word going out, praise his name for his justice, for his holiness, for his right. purposes. I mean, honestly, even looking through church history, even just looking at the life of Paul, he proclaimed that message boldly, and he was stoned, uh, shipwrecked, arrested, beaten. persecuted, beaten, all the things for boldly proclaiming Christ. And there was lots of opposition up front. But we've been able, because of the point in time in which we live, we've been able to see the fruit of that ministry, which started with a lot of persecution and suffering. Often, God does grow his church through persecution. Mm -hmm. When you see the faithfulness of believers, who, quite frankly, care more about what their Savior thinks than what men think, and then in that is a powerful testimony, a powerful chance to be a very strong ambassador of Christ, to represent him well, when that happens, that is potent. We do get to see growth of that. So we shouldn't be afraid to suffer for Christ. And for us, I mean, honestly, I, I first to admit, I struggled with even wanting to endure little sufferings, like just losing friends over think people thinking I'm weird. I'm not even willing to do that sometimes. And yet I look at Paul, it's like, man, he was willing to die. And that's how God grew his church, was through that prophetic ministry where he proclaimed the gospel boldly there was opposition and in the opposition he was faithful and in that faithfulness that really shined bright that was really salty that was really something that we got to see the gospel go out as a large result of so we shouldn't be asking ourselves if people reject the gospel what did i do wrong should be like well god your gospel will build its church whether in my lifetime or the next I've been faithful and done what you called me to do. Your word will go out as a result, even if I don't see it. Right. Now, 
there could be some kickback to us saying this where someone's like, all right, so does that mean you don't examine yourself and see that you, you know, whether you were just being a punk or whether you were just being whatever that meant, you were the one that repelled someone. And no, we, I think we, we should examine ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like was I the one that was repelling instead of the gospel repelling that person? Sure. We, we do need to look at that and that, the gospel is is going to be offensive enough to people. Correct. The the exclusivity of the gospel, the fact that the gospel says you're wrong, <laughs> right. right? I mean, that's going to be offensive to people. Mm-hmm. And so the gospel itself should be what repels people if they're repelled. Correct. But sometimes, because we're sinners and we have our pride and we have our whatever it is, we can be the ones who are repelling. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, if we're having a bad attitude, if we're being, you know overbearing in ourselves in some way if we're whatever it might be we have to be willing to examine ourselves and repent where we find ourselves to be wrong so if someone is repelled let them be repelled by the message not by the messenger correct yeah right back to that we should strive to be holy yes we're not perfect we're gonna we're gonna mess it up but if we are holy then we are an ambassador of christ we're a good representation of christ but yeah we're gonna mess it up And when we do, that's when I still think even in that is an opportunity for us to show the faithfulness of Christ when we repent, admit, you know, I got this wrong. I screwed up. And And ask for forgiveness. Yes. Will will you you forgive me me for this? For what I did wrong. Take ownership ownership of it. And in that, we prove that we also need the gospel. Right. It's still an opportunity to let that truth of the gospel go out. Yeah. This just shows I cannot save myself. Exactly. I need a savior. Right. So we're in this together. Right. Right. So someone may say then, this sounds like you don't really care whether or not someone does come to faith. You're just going to go out and preach the gospel. And if someone comes to faith, great. If they don't, you know, whatever, that God's sovereign over it. So glory to God. It doesn't really. But you, it, it sound, it could sound like we have cold hearts here. And we don't actually care whether or not people are saved. Is that true? No. I, it just means that my passion to be faithful is clouding out everything else. That my zeal should be so strong to please my Heavenly Father, to be faithful to what he's called me to do, that what other people think of me should look small in comparison to what Christ thinks of me. Right. When I do that, it is at the end of the day. Yes, the results do come up to him. Does that mean that I'm I'm heartless about it? No, I would be thrilled if people came to Christ as a result. I would actually like it if people didn't hate me for being faithful to Christ as well. I mean, <laughs> I don't like it when people dislike me. I get there are people out there that are contrarian and they love, they just love to be in opposition to people. Right. That has never been my personality, but I get there are people that are like that. And those people get the most press. But I don't think that's the majority of people. I don't sure. think that's the biggest problem either. I think more people are like me and that we care more about what people think. And then we use the bad press people, point our fingers at them, like, well, we don't want to be like them. Okay, well, let's, let's focus on us and the larger problem, which is the majority of us are just comfortable with people liking us. We care more about what people think than what Christ thinks. Right. I do think that's the bigger problem. Sure. I'm not going to say that there aren't people that just love to be in controversy, just love to almost use the law as a way to puff themselves up and to belittle other people. That is certainly a real thing. People do do that. 
And guys that I get that I might the- be accused of that, <laughs> even though I've never kicked a pulpit. <laughs> I get that I might be accused of that, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I'm going to do my best to say I'm being faithful. You can accuse me of that all you want. Right. You can accuse me of being heartless. And, but I, I don't, I, at the end of the day, I don't really care. I struggle with caring, but I need to tell myself that I don't care because I care more about what Christ thinks of me. Right. Right. Well, that's the difference. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're exactly right. And, you know, it, and I think for those that it comes across as heartless and I, I really think that's just, again, another excuse for that whimsical side of things to want to right. produce, to have a product, to be able to say we're successful in these things. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, what compels us to go out? I think there's two sides of it. I mean, it comes down to, I think, you know, Ray Comfort has gone over this, that what motivates our evangelism is really, in a sense, the law. You know, what What are the two greatest commandments? Love God and love others. Mm-hmm. And that's what motivates us. We we love others. We don't want people to go to hell. We want people to trust in Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and if we truly know the gospel, if we ourselves are actually saved, that we are so grateful for our salvation, we're going to want that to be shared. We're going to want other people to know what we have if we really believe it, if we really understand the gospel, that should compel us to desire for people to come to Christ and be saved. We do not want people to go to hell. We know the guilt and shame that they're under because we were under guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. We were condemned under that wrath. And so we want people to come out from under that as we have been brought out from under it. And yet, though, and this is where the side of it, though, that you were emphasizing just now, the overarching motivation to it is also that we love God. Right. We want God to be glorified for his righteousness and his grace and mercy as seen in the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want God to be saved. Or go- <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> heresy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like the Babylon Bee has they have a heresy jar? <laughs> throw a dollar in every time we they should, say something's heretical. We should do that. <laughs> we could save up money to buy good equipment instead <laughs> yeah. of our phones. <laughs> They're pretty quick. <laughs> Um, uh, <laughs> we want God to be glorified for who he is and what he has done through Jesus Christ. Right. And so they are both sides of those things are the compelling and the motivating factors in us taking out the gospel and preaching the gospel as we do. Hmm. Yeah. So what has gotten the church to be where it is today that we've gotten away from all of these things? that we've missed the mark on what the church is supposed to be and what the church is supposed to look like. A lot of that comes in one with a lack of understanding of definitionally what the church is. Correct. And so we've we've defined what a church is. It is made up of believers. And now we need to ask, what is the church for? What is it supposed to be doing? How is it supposed to act? What is the goal of the church? Right. I'm not sure which question we want to focus on there, but kind of all of them. The church is, as the scriptures we, we started the podcast with, Ephesians 4, 11, actually Ephesians 4, 12, he gave to the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, the body of Christ being the church. So then from that, then we ask the question then, who's supposed to be doing the ministry of the church 
because a lot of times we have the idea of the church. Well, I come to church. Right. I, you know, I come because I like the music and, you know, the, the guy that stands up front, sometimes, you know, I like the things he says. And, you know, this is what I come to church for. He's got a good haircut. Yeah. He's got cool sneakers. Everything got, that's antithetical to our church. Got skinny jeans on. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so... So what is the church for? When I come to church, what is the expectation that should be on me? Who is to do the ministry of the church? Right. The pastors. <laughs> right. Or uh, or the church. The church, right. Yeah. No. Right. The, but we that's often the way we think. We think the pastor is supposed to do that job. He's supposed to to do all of these all the works of the body of Christ. Which many pastors try, sadly, and they either get burnt out. They will walk away bitter, hating ministry or hating God or hating the church itself. Or for the ones that are usually a little more cool, which, as you said, that doesn't really fit us. <laughs> but for the ones that are good at being cool and attractional, they, they end up growing a big ministry, I'll call it, being generous with the word. They do a carnally good job at growing some kind of an organization and they get their pride puffed up. And they feel good about themselves and they feel like they're really, they, at least they tell themselves they're really accomplishing something for the Lord, but really they're just stroking their own ego, building their own platforms. But it's not a church. They're not growing people that are being equipped for the work of the ministry. It's not a body functioning. It's, what do you call that? It's a social club. It's a person creating a social club. One person or a few people doing trying to do the works of the ministry, but even at that, their their works of the ministry are usually pretty limited to a few a few select ministries, the ones that are going to draw people in. Right. Right. And so a healthy church is a church that the whole membership is involved with. Correct. That everyone is involved in doing their part. Mm-hmm. And so that includes the pastors and deacons and Mm -hmm. but it's not only the pastors and deacons and it cannot be as you said they'll get burned out and i think it's macarthur that talks about what really is being burned out right it's it's when there's pride and so expectations that you think you have to meet Mm -hmm. uh, which really aren't proper and right expectations right so you have these expectations that aren't biblical Mm -hmm. and then that's how you get burned out and so yeah that's i agree that is where burnout comes from but if we have a biblical view that it's the whole church to be involved, then the work gets done by everybody. Right. Um, and so that's where we see, you know, even people point to Ephesians 4 to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Talk, talking about people that he's given to the church who are gifted. Right. Specifically talking about the leadership there, in the starting in verse 11. And the leadership's job is to equip the church, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And how do they do that? They do that through the Word of God. Mm-hmm. The The Word of God is sufficient for everything for us that we can do the work that we're called to do, right? That's First Timothy 3.16 and 17. That says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's and 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy. I say 1 yes. Timothy? Yes. Yeah. Sorry. 2 Timothy 3.16. <laughs> And 17. Yeah. And so, yeah, so it's the the scriptures through which the leadership equips the church to do the work of the ministry. Mm -hmm. And so the work of the ministry in building up the body. And so each one has a part to play 
And so how do they know what part they have to play? Draw straws. <laughs> That's what lots. we do, right? Hey, you're you're breathing. You have a heartbeat. Right. We have this this spot to fill. You know, are you willing? Exactly. <laughs> you're a willing soul. All right, you're in there. Right. Uh, that's how it often is done. But that's not the ideal at all, and that's right. not the healthy church right. at all. God has equipped His people through the Holy Spirit in giving gifts mm-hmm. of the Spirit. Right. So Ephesians four, like we just mentioned, Second Corinthians twelve, Romans twelve. First Peter four, they're the go-to passages on the gifts of the spirit and saying that God has equipped me. God has given me specific abilities in order to serve within mm-hmm. the church. Um, and as we see, as we've talked about in first Peter, in first Peter chapter four, verses 10 through 11, it says, as each has received a gift use it to serve one another mm-hmm. as good stewards of God's varied graces. And then he goes through and how that's supposed to be done. You know, whoever speaks is one who speaks with oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so these gifts are to equip us to serve one another, to serve within the church, to do the work of the church. Right. And so to kind of build off of what you're saying here, how do we know what our gifts are? The part of the church is, as they make disciples, the job of the church is to teach them all that Christ has said to equip them. But that's actually a process. It actually takes time. Right. At the moment of conversion, you might not have any clue how God has gifted you. There's still a lot to talk about, to learn, to be discipled in. And I think through that discipling, through the learning of God's word, and coming to a better understanding, I think that's how we then understand ourselves better. We understand how God has gifted us. How can we get involved? Many of our rapid church expansion type movements, their model is the instant that person is part of that church or has made a profession, it's, it's get them involved. Sometimes they want to get them involved even before they're regenerate, before they've been claimed as believers. But, you know, it's, we've got to get them involved in, into serving. I think it was Stephen Furtick who said, the instant that you become a believer, this church is no longer for you. You're supposed to be part of this church and you're supposed to be reaching out. Actually, no, this church is always for you to be equipped. And it is through that that we can get a proper understanding of what our gifts are. Because if we just willy-nilly, as soon as we get, I'll just pick a gift. It might not be something we're gifted in. And... Then we try to exercise this quote-unquote gift, but it's not really gift. We end up doing a lot of damage to the church. We need to be equipped. And even reading in our passage here that we, we keep going back to, Ephesians 4, in verse 13, we'll even go back you know, the, to verse 12 here. It says, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And then 13 says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. So we need to be equipped because, let's be honest, if we're going to be ambassador of Christ, we've already talked about how there's going to be opposition. We need to be equipped for that. We need to know what our strengths are, what we're gifted at. If we're not gifted at evangelism, we should still be evangelists to our spheres that God puts us in, but if that's not your gift to be out on the street like Ray Comfort, then maybe you should be 
using your gifts of service, gifts of teaching, whatever they might be. They might be different gifts, and you know, let's really shine with what God has gifted you with. And that takes time and understanding and learning from God's word to understand ourselves. What what am I gifted at? It's it's through this standard that we know truth, and this is how we can rightly divide who we are by looking to His word. Right, and so maybe we should even have started with that Matthew 28 passage of making disciples. Right. Um, Because you're right. It is discipleship. So how do I know what my gifts even are? Right. A huge part of that is discipleship. Right. And so being equipped from God's word and being trained and growing in that. And so, yeah, you are exactly right. You hit the, the nail on the head with that. And so it does take time. A lot of time. What if the pushback then is, is, well, like, listen, do you not believe in rapid church growth? Look at the acts of the apostles. They saw rapid growth. And if we're not seeing that happen now, I mean, we're failing then. The apostles did it. It could happen now. I mean, it could really happen like that. I always kind of marveled at, at that logic because we asked a couple questions that seemingly doesn't hold up. One of the things <laughs> is many of these rapid, repentant, People, thousands of coming to Christ were in large Jewish communities who already had a very strong foundation, theological foundation. They knew the Old Testament backwards and forwards. They had a culture that taught them that, that they had a big foundation there already to build on. So that's one of, one of the groups of people. Now there were also Gentiles, non-Jewish people that we did see some things like that happen, but they needed to grow in their spiritual maturity. And as believers, as a church, we should be pushing people to mature manhood. And that does take time. This is a large book. And to be able to know it perfectly, I could never even do it in my lifetime. Right. It takes a lot of work. And yet in doing that, as the more I learn it, the more equipped I am. I'm, I'm ready to go and do ministry. I'm ready to go and proclaim this gospel. I'm ready to shrug off the stupid deconstructionist progressive Christian arguments that come at me all day long because I know God's word better because I'm equipped now. And when we send our children out to do ministry, to do life, and they're not equipped and they get hit hard with deconstructionist type stuff, especially in this climate and mindset, boy, I mean, we're seeing the wreckage happen right now of a generation that's not equipped. A whole generation. And it's, it's ugly. My uh, son found my my wife's yearbook, which is also my yearbook. I was thumbing through it, looking at my terrible senior picture with a mustache. <laughs> <laughs> it looks ridiculous. <laughs> at any rate, having a chuckle over that. But I was also kind of just somewhat depressed looking through, like, my goodness, so many of friends that I knew that no longer hold the faith, that have destroyed their lives from sin that have gone full on, just hardened heart, rejected the faith. We have a generation that was not properly equipped. And it's not to say that had we been doing church right, it wouldn't have weeded them out in the beginning. But, you know, it's it's heartbreaking to see all of the deconstruction happening now with my generation because we weren't equipped. We weren't doing church right for a long time, actually, I think. Right. And I think that's that's a big problem with the wanting to see rapid church growth like that. Often, then, it's shallow uh, when you have the rapid church growth. I mean, could there never be rapid growth in, in a solid and, and, and great foundation? No, there, there can mm-hmm. be, but it's rare. Right. And then when people point to Acts 2 and Acts 4 and they look at like the numbers that were added every day, 
there are guys that would be quick to, when you jump into Acts, ask the question, wait, is that descriptive or prescriptive? Correct. And, that but, too. and, and they'll be quick to that. But when it comes to those verses, then that's what the church is supposed to look like. Well, okay, hold on, time out. Is that descriptive or prescriptive? Right. And what was going on at that time at the foundation of the church when the church was just starting Correct. Uh, in its infancy? Uh, what was going on at that time that those things were happening that way? Right. As we look at the church today, as we look at what the church is supposed to be and how it's supposed to grow and build itself up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it takes time. It takes right. work. It takes discipleship. Mm hmm. And so we, we can't bypass that. And and really, when we do, that's when you get, I mean, really, why are we sitting here? What made us decide to sit here? And we've been talking for a while that we're going to do this on the church, right? right. It has been some time they're saying we are going to do episodes after episodes on the church. Right. And, and why? Because both of us have looked at people we know, people who made a profession of faith in our lives and have completely walked away, want nothing to do with the church, want nothing to do with Christianity because they were given a false gospel or they were given a shallow gospel or they were mm -hmm. given a shallow understanding of what the church is and were not given a right foundation to stand on. Right. And so they're given all of this attractional things and all of these things to make you feel good and make you feel better about your life and giving all of these promises that scripture never actually gives. Mm -hmm. And so when those promises were not met, were found to be empty for them. Or then when they, they found hurts from the church. Right. Uh, then they walk away right? and they, they the hate foundations the were shallow and they crumbled easy. And, and that's what I'll be honest. That's what gets up my nose mm -hmm. when the accusation is you're going to hurt people. People are going to be upset with what you're doing. People are going to walk away. But I mean, and we're saying, well, the, are doing things the way we are. That's what's going to happen. And you've made the point. Yes. People are, are going to be pushed away. Mm hmm. But so are people from the other things It may take a little more time, but in the end, they're going to walk away. Right. And we've seen it over and over again. Right. And that's why we've decided to sit down and say, what is the church? What is the church supposed to look like? So to say, listen, if you're if you're looking for a church or you're you're wondering what church you should be going to or or maybe to, to kind of push you to do some examination of the church you're in to say, right. what is a biblical church that I should be in? That's why we're doing this. Mm -hmm. Right. Right, because let's be honest, as I look at the landscape of churches in my neighborhood, it's not good. It's really not good. NEPA is hurting. And they really are. NEPA needs the gospel. They really need the gospel. And From it, below Wilkesbury up to above us in correct, Scranton. Correct. And watering it down to put butts in seats is is not going to cut it. That's that's not going to get the gospel out. Let's Let's be bold and... And let's be faithful to what God has called us to do. That may mean slow growth, but you know what? I don't care <laughs> because I'm, I'm pleasing God when I do that, when I'm faithful. And the thing is, is I know, I know that won't return void. I know there will be growth in that. It may be slow. It most likely will be slow, but I know that if we build on the proper foundation there, maybe there'll be something generational to come. Like, I mean, I might not have a church that has 500 or 1,000 or 5,000 people in it in my generation. Maybe that comes with my grandchildren. But if we, if we build it on the proper foundation and, and leave the results to God, maybe there's even some persecution and suffering that needs to happen first, and I need to be ready for it. I think that's a very likely possibility. Right. And then we can see some, some growth in return come from that but at, in this time and age in this space and time where god has me let's be faithful to his word let's not compromise 
for quick results for an easy fix because that is the temptation and yeah like like i say i'm i'm burdened by what i see what i hear by even some people that i know personally that are willing to compromise on anything for the sake of quote-unquote unity what is it that we're to be unified in it talks in our ephesian passage here so in 13 till we all attain to the unity of the faith unity is important so to reiterate what i'm saying there to those who who think that we should you know they have this idea that we should be unified around the gospel yes we should be unified around the gospel we should also be unified by all of god's words and i get that god's word is not perfectly clear on everything i get that i get that i'm not perfect that i can misinterpret god's words and so i do want to be humble in that regard but i also think that the temptation as i've said before our bigger temptation our bigger problem now is to be not certain about things that we should be certain on as alistair begg says let the plain things be the main things and the main things be the plain things scripture has things that are plain and we should keep them the main things but it's funny how in our day and age in our postmodern day and age the list of plain things is getting really small like really really small and it's i feel like you know there's a lot more that scripture is pretty plain on that we really need to hold the ground here too even if someone is a believer even if there is someone who i think is a genuine believer we're talking about false teachers beforehand i think there is a line sometimes it's hard to draw the line at who is a false teacher who's teaching heresy and who's perhaps a brother in christ but they're playing with dangerous dangerous interpretations of scripture they've got some foundational things wrong that are plain that should be main things and we need to call those out right because that's what the church is for especially the universal church we need to be keeping each other accountable I should say, especially the local church, we should be keeping each other accountable. But that also means the universal church as well. There's lots of other teachers there out there that I take, that I am benefited by, and that I would recommend. There's a lot of other teachers, though, that I think we should avoid. Doesn't mean I'm ready to call them heretics yet. Doesn't mean I'm going to say they're not my brothers or sister in Christ. But I think what they're teaching is dangerous and deadly to the church. It's damaging to the church. And so I'm going to call it what it is. It's damaging. It's hurtful, it's wrong, and it should be repented of because it's a plain thing. And so, I don't know if I want to talk about examples, but I mean, I think we've done an episode on, on things that are plain in Scripture. One of our earlier episodes. Yeah. Things that we don't compromise on. And when that list of things we don't compromise on becomes so small that we're willing to let in universalists and call them brothers and sisters in Christ like that, they're like... You've got serious problems. Right. And when we're, we're avoiding difficult topics and saying difficult things for the sake of unity, when we're unwilling to take a stand on a specific area of doctrine right. that is clearly taught in Scripture and um, or a moral stand that Scripture has, that we're just going to avoid it for the sake of unity. Right. Uh, we, we, we pretend as if unity means that we're just we feel good about each other we hold hands and sing kumbaya mm -hmm. but that's not unity that's not what scripture teaches as unity just because i i feel like i like you and so you don't say anything that gets up my nose doesn't mean we have actual unity together but unity comes as we are built on truth 
that apart from truth, there is no true unity. Right. And so we act as if Jesus is all about us being united. Jesus is all about us being together. When Jesus himself said, that's not why I came. Right. Right. In Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace. Well, wait a minute. I thought he's all about peace. Isn't he the prince of peace? Isn't <laughs> like, isn't that what he's all about? And he says, right. no, but I, I've come to bring a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and the person's enemies will be those of his own household, those who are supposed to be the closest ones together, the ones that are most knitted together. He's going to divide even them, because there is no true unity apart from who Christ is, the truth of his very person and work. And so when we think that we can build unity on on other things by avoiding the tough doctrines and the tough moral stands and and all of the, the, the difficult things that are in Scripture. We think we can be, build unity by avoiding them. We are actually building shallow communities that are will be fractured very easily and very quickly. Right. And we're also not fulfilling the command to equip the saints. To Absolutely. make disciples, teaching them all that Christ has told us. All. All of it. It applies to life and it, like... So much of everything we do in life should have a biblical foundation for what we do. And we can't separate. Often I think we, we divide and we live in these boxes like we have our sacred time, we have our secular time, and they don't really overlap. But actually everything we do, even in the secular world, even in my job, like there should be a biblical foundation to what I do. There's a reason why I work. Right. There's a reason why I get up and go make electrical splices or do electrical services. There's a reason. And it's not just so that I can make money. Like there's a biblical principle in there. I work unto the glory of the Lord. It affects everything I do. Every interaction I have in life, whether it be political, there's implications there that scripture is clearly laid out that should inform everything that I do. And so if we're not equipping for the sake of unity, we're disobeying scripture. It's sin. It needs to be repented of. We need to be fulfilling the commands of scripture. As a church, we should be equipping. We should be discipling. If we're not being equipped, if we're not getting discipled, get into a church that's going to do that. So if you're, if you're stagnant in your faith and you're there just because, you know, the children's program's great. So I don't really even have to hardly invest into my children because my kids love going to church. If I went to another stuffier church, well, the kids might not like it. And I want them to like church, right? Listen, you need to get into a church where you're going to be equipped. And quite frankly, as you need to get into a church that's going to teach you how important the family structure is and how you need to be training your children as a parent to disciple your children in their walks with Christ. Uh, if you can't do that as a parent, you need to find someone who's going to equip you to do that. That's one of your primary ministries. So... Don't make these excuses, whether unity or, or just a, a comfort level, like get into a church that's going to equip you. That is a scriptural command. Right. And when the churches aren't, when they avoid those difficult things and doctrines, you're not keeping the church safe. Right. Because then the church is not discerning then. And, you know, as we've been going through in our services on Sundays, Second Peter, you know, we've been seeing how 
serious and dangerous false teachers and false teaching is. You know, Peter, <laughs> I think as we, I think it was this past Sunday that we saw Peter does not mince any words. No. <laughs> He's very direct and is very bold in what he says about the false teachers because of how dangerous they are. Mm-hmm. And so even as, again, we look at Ephesians 4, you know, part of the building up of the body, everyone doing their part and working together, exercising their gifts uh, to see that the body is built up. Part of that reason, part of the purpose in that is coming to fullness in Christ so that we're no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunningness, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Mm-hmm. This is so the false teacher can't come in and lead people astray, right. lead people after false gospels and, and lies that are in the end damning. Right. And so part of this is protecting the church. And so teaching the scriptures, going verse by verse through whole books and building up in what the scriptures teach and what these doctrines are, even the difficult ones, even Mm -hmm. the divisive ones, even the things that are hard to swallow. Because that's keeping that's that is caring for people. That is how you love people Mm -hmm. and keep them safe. Right. Amen. So we we did get a little we kind of we went through down a bunch of trails, but yeah. bring it back to where we started too with giftedness. So then we learn our gifts through being discipled, right? And I think part of that is too just kind of to wrap this part of it up. Part of that is too that as we're discipled, we're encouraged then to go out and try things. That okay, like if or if you know if I see an area in the church, well, like we're kind of weak here. Or, you know, the church, maybe we should have something going on here. Maybe they haven't had the people or the uh, ability or maybe maybe the leadership just didn't think about it. All right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I tend to think maybe this is my own heresy. But in Acts 6, when you have the church come to the apostles saying, hey, listen, the 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 people aren't getting fed. Yeah. The the, the, wi- right. the Greek widows. Right. Are, are, aren't getting taken care of, you know, maybe that was an oversight on the apostles. They didn't, they missed that maybe. And so the church came to them and said, Hey, this is, this is something that needs to get taken care of. You know, maybe it could be something too, where you're saying, Hey, listen, maybe, maybe you missed this. This is something or, or whatever it might be that you see or that you're drawn to try it, right. step out. And, and then as you're discipled, whoever's discipling you or the group of people that's discipling you as the church comes around you and says, Hey, you know what, you know, God's really been using you in this area. It's, it's, you've been doing really well and, and it really seems you're gifted here. Mm-hmm. Hey, yeah, maybe I'm gifted here and this right. is how I try and find out. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe someone comes along and speaks truth to you, speaking truth in love and says, <laughs> well, you know, right. Good A for effort. Right. <laughs> uh, maybe try something else. Yep. <laughs> and that's, that's to be okay. We shouldn't be, you know, overly sensitive sure we, that that's that's part of the growth process mm-hmm. and so we step out and as the church encourages us to to move in a certain direction to stay where we're at or whatever it might be we learn that way what our gifts are and then again as it says that we build the church builds itself up you know why do we have the gifts part of the reason is again so those areas that where the church has needs so those needs are met and and the ministry can be moving forward as designed and, and how the church is supposed to be and growing in health as a church, as the body of Christ. But we all grow together too, that just because I may not have a gift, you know, doesn't mean I'm not still responsible to be doing those certain things in that area. So, so just because I may not have the gift of mercy, maybe people get up my nose real easily and I tend to let them know it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe I don't have the gift of mercy, but that doesn't mean I'm not responsible to be showing mercy to others. Or, you know, you mentioned, you know, about evangelism. Maybe I'm not an evangelist in the church. Maybe I don't have the gift of evangelism, but that doesn't mean I'm not supposed to be sharing the gospel either. Right. So what do we do? Well, those who have the gifts, we learn from them. You know, right. as we're going to go out 
next week is it i think with yeah. uh in carbondale and 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 we're gonna go out and evangelize you know we said listen you know if if you're new to this you've never done this before or you never you know or, or you just don't know if you know uh maybe you have tried this and you're just saying i'm not really gifted here and, and you just want to kind of hang back for now and watch that's great do that you know, and, and hopefully that'll encourage you then to step out and evangelize. But if you're just trying to learn and see how to so that you can watch others who have the gift, watch how others who have mercy interact with those who are, are you know, who are um, are in sin or, or those who are struggling in some way and, and show see how they come alongside of them, see how they encourage or see how others evangelize, see how others are able to start conversations and and share the gospel. We learn from others who have the gifts when we don't ourselves in mm-hmm. those areas that we are still responsible to be participating in. Right. And so that's part of the church building itself up that we learn from one another and we grow with each other as we're discipled by one another. Right. Uh, and, and so that's an important part of knowing our gifts and, and learning what our gifts are and how we, we grow together in right. that way. And something else that happens that will happen naturally if we're doing that but is also something that the church is called to do is to hold each other accountable to it. Right. So we look to God's word. We're discovering each other's gifts. We're doing ministry. We're doing as much as I hate to use this term, but we're doing life together. Uh, <laughs> right. We're in our families. We're working. We're, we're studying. We're growing. But we're also sinners. So we're, we're sinning. Right. And so when we sin, that's why we need to be together so we can call each other out. Listen. This is a problem. You need to, you need to fix this. You need to repent. Right. Or you can use it as an opportunity to say, listen, this is something I'm struggling with. Can you help me hold me accountable because I've created bad habits and I need to, I need to address these habits. I also need to address the sin and repent of it, but I've got habits that need to be broken. Help hold me accountable. Am I in the word? Am I growing or have I grown stagnant? Accountability is, is, I don't want to say a perk. I think it's by design. But it is also kind of a perk of discipling right. each other, equipping and growing. And then going back to the, the mindset of, of winsomeness, you know, if a church has decidedly gone the path of being winsome, right. you know, Josh Bice just put out an article at g3min.org, and it's a really great article on being winsome and the problems of it. Right. That you're not going to do life together like that. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be calling out sin. You're not going to be holding each other accountable when you're just trying to be winsome. Right. And then, though, you're not going to be causing each other to grow and be healthy right? and be what the scriptures call us to be and be the church that Christ died for. Mm-hmm. We're going to miss that. Right. Iron sharpens iron. And that's that's a cutting process. Yeah. Going both ways. Right. But we do it in love. Right. We do it because we love each other. Correct. And it's done in love for one another. Right. We do it because of love. Yeah. Right. So we're doing that. We're equipping that's a primary role of the church, making disciples, equipping each other. And we do that by looking to his word, by learning it. And in that, too, I mean, that's that's part of worship. Yeah, it is. Um, looking to his word and growing. Right. And then we've also been given specific commands as a church how to worship when we come together. We do certain things. Uh, this is how we worship. We sing together. This is one that I actually struggled with for a little bit. I pushed back, like, why do we need to sing? You did. I did. I really struggled. <laughs> you were ready to take I singing was, out all together. I was ready to pull the rug on it. <laughs> and to my defense, I was ready to pull the rug on something that was being done very poorly. Yeah. And I 
based on the poor execution of what we were doing with singing, it was, it was pointless. Much of what I had done for a lot of years in singing was, was done wrong for the wrong reasons, and it was harmful. And I knew from a foundational level, like, we're not singing. Many people weren't singing because they didn't have a reason to sing. And now that I've gotten the foundation down here, like, hey, there's a reason to sing. There's a good reason to sing. And so now I'm, <laughs> it's, it's definitely a clear command from scripture. When we come together, we should be singing. We should be praising God, giving thanks for what he's done. We proclaim the works that he has done to others, to each other. We remind each other. We look upward and we look to each other to proclaim this truth. And so we come together and we should be singing together. We should be singing, not necessarily just the singers on the stage, but we should be singing. And I'm grateful to be in a church now that, man, I can hear the singing of the people. Even if our numbers are small sometimes, people want to be there. They want to praise God for what he's done. They want to sing his praises. They want to sing to each other the praises of what God has done. And we sing the truths of God's word, and they they bless us. They encourage us to act, to to grow. And it's a great tool of worship that we do together. It's one. And then uh, we partake of the Lord's Supper. We do this to remember what Christ has done. We remember the body that was broken. We remember the blood that was shed for us and the blessings of the new covenant that that gives us, that we have and that we look forward to and we take much comfort in. Also in baptism, we baptize as we are baptized as an act of obedience to represent what Christ has done for us, to identify with him the blessings of his death, burial, and resurrection. And what that signifies, that I'm a new creation. I am part of his body now. I'm part of his family. Uh, and these are all things that we do as an act of worship to God that proclaim the truths of what he has done for his church. This is how he grows his church. And these are so crucial. These should not necessarily be turned into things that we make attractional. They are for encouraging each other. They are, they are as an act of worship to God, which, as we've said before, will be attractional to his people, but it's going to look weird to people that are not. If baptisms look cool, I think you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right? If you're getting everyone hyped up on music and you've got a, you've got a line of, of a few volunteers ready to get dunked just to, to prime, prime the pump, like, you've missed the point there. Uh, if you've got water slides, you're missing the point. Sadly, in today's day and age, I think the biggest struggle with communion is that we don't think it's relevant, so we don't do it very much. Right. Uh, they haven't figured out a way to make it cool, so they just, let's do it once. Well, some uh, have. Some, you know, with uh, Mountain Dew and uh, Dorito chips, you know, oh, we wow. make it cool. <laughs> I don't know how cool that really is. It doesn't seem to be a fad that's really stuck. No. I've heard of weird, weird stories like that. I think, I think there's another word for it. Blasphemous, yeah, for sure, yeah. And it's sadly one we 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 I don't think we as a church in today's day and age really put a lot of stock in. So it doesn't get done as very often, sadly. I think because it's well, it's just one of those things we got to do. So you mentioned, yeah. So you mentioned singing, you mentioned communion, communion. and baptism. Yes. Um, 
What else did you mention in worship? I haven't mentioned it yet, but the preaching of the word, preaching of is, the word. <laughs> is something that should be happening. That is part um, of the worship, that right? Is part of yeah, worship. It's not just singing, right? Correct. We, we think, oh, we, we did our worship, now we're going to listen to the sermon. Correct. We're no. going to get yelled at for a little bit. <laughs> no, that's worship. Oh, you know? Right. <laughs> You're right. You don't <laughs> but, yell. But, uh, um, but yeah, but it's all worship. So sometimes we, we make that mistake. We just think the singing is the worship. Correct. But everything we do in the service is worship. Even the right. giving is worship. All right. Prayer, Prayer is worship. The the public reading of the word is worship. Right. And and all of these elements of worship are the elements that come from scripture. I would even go as far as to say is the business meeting is is part of worship. Probably my least favorite part of worship, but I, I do love, think... Aren't they exhilarating? I mean, they're right. just so fun. Right, but it is important. <laughs> uh, yes, you're right. Yeah, and I, I don't disagree. Um, and, and so all of that, though, has to be based on what God's Word says we should be doing and what the church is to look like mm-hmm. and grow in that. So in upcoming episodes, then, we'll we'll cover the idea of worship. To give you some ideas of what to look for in a church. Or right. To evaluate your own church. Hey, first... If you think your church is is missing some things, be part of the body, confront, take it to them. Yeah, our goal isn't that you'd be like, this place stings, I'm out of here. <laughs> no. Uh, first of all, always test even what we're saying. Correct. You know, don't don't ever take our word for it because, I mean, if you've known us, then you, you know <laughs> that's probably not what you should do. Uh, we're not the brightest bulbs on the tree. Um, so... <laughs> that's almost as good as make like a tree and get out of here. <laughs> that's right. McFly. <laughs> anyway, um, we are old. <laughs> uh, Sadly, yes. <laughs> so, uh, but examine what we're saying from the scriptures. Go to the scriptures yourself and say, is this what the Bible says? And if you're looking at that and saying, you know, my, my church is missing that, then have a respectful and loving conversation with your pastor. Sit down and say, hey, I, I just, I'm looking at the scriptures and I'm seeing some things. I'm just wondering, you know, you know, could we go in this direction or why don't we go in this direction? And, and, and talk it through lovingly and respectfully uh, in a submissive way with your pastors and, uh, and see what you can do from there. If, if you're looking and saying, listen, there's, there's no gospel here. There's no depth or growth here in the word of God. It, could it come to the point where you're saying, listen, maybe I need to depart ways? Maybe. But that should not be that you should not take that lightly. Right. It um, should not be a quick decision. Right. And it absolutely. should not come without some kind of struggle. Right. Some kind of attempt to make it as right as possible. Correct. There's different situations, different churches that if the game plan was that we should just all throw up our hands and be like, I'm done with this. You know, no, no church really would ever survive because each church has room to grow and needs to Correct. still move forward in different ways. Right. There is there is no perfect church. No. But can you live there? Can you be equipped? Can you grow? Can you help? Can you participate? Can you be part of the change? Can you be part of the change? Yeah. Those are questions you need to ask yourself and evaluate. Right. And and granted, it could come to a point where you do say yes. It it has come to a time where, where I do need to go mm-hmm. find a church that is, is biblically leading and biblically feeding the people and, and worshiping God as he, he desires. So don't take our word for it. Search the scriptures and be a Berean, a blue-collar Berean. We'll see you next time. <laughs>